0: Firstly, just a quick snapshot of Isaiah's world. Uh, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet and he's writing to the southern kingdom of Israel at a time when they are facing war with Babylon. They are facing Jerusalem being sacked. They are facing being dragged away to Babylon in exile. It was a time of increasing brokenness. Israel had abandoned their God. They were isolated, alienated from God, facing violence from this ba- these Babylonian uh, conquerors. They were facing shame for, having, uh, for being about to lose their capital, being about to lose their temple, being about to lose their God. The promises of God were being swallowed up by judgment. Peace had abandoned God's people. But then as the book progresses, it's like travelling through a dark tunnel with a little light at the end of that tunnel. Gradually that light grows. In chapter 9 we're given a hint of that light. If you were here for the carols last night you will have heard, heard Pete steal my thunder and use this passage no, actually, he didn't know I was going to preach on this. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, a very familiar passage to us a, at Christmas. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. And then jump down to verse 6 For to us a child is born, to us a, chi- a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Somehow God himself would show up, is the message of Isaiah. The Prince of Peace will come to rescue Israel. And as the book unfolds, we hear about uh, this rescuer coming in various names a servant who would somehow save his people. In other places, Isaiah talks about a king who would rule on David's throne. We often call him the Messiah, the Anointed One. The light grows and Israel's hope grows. As we come to uh, chapter 54... The Messiah isn't mentioned by name, but he is soaked through this passage as the one who pervades this last part of Isaiah and brings hope to the people. He is the one who will come. He will come to bring peace, shalom to Israel. Isaiah 54 is a poem or a song, a love song. To Israel from God. And Israel is portrayed in the form of a woman. God is her husband and he is reassuring her of his love. And he does that by renewing his covenant with Israel. A covenant is a promise, like a marriage promise. He's promising to bind, God is promising to bind himself to his people. And it's a lot like like what happens in marriage, like a husband and a wife making promises to each other in their marriage vows. The high point of our passage today is in the last verse and this is the key to understanding the passage. Have a look with me at verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This whole passage describes the particular type of covenant that God is making or or, or, um, in fact renewing with his people, a covenant of peace. And again, it's that Hebrew word, shalom. And how that shalom is worked out in God's people makes up our three main points that I've got from our passage this morning. One, it brings wholeness. Two, it brings restoration. And three, it is based on love. So that's where we're going this morning. So firstly, wholeness in verses 1 to 3. Look at verse 1. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labour. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. For an Israelite woman being childless was a terrible thing. It's huge Uh, for someone now of course in our culture as well the bitter disappointment the sense of loss but for a woman in Israel in those days there was more because there was a sense that she had failed her husband failed to be the wife that she was expected to be failed to bear a child and especially a son in that culture a sense of incompleteness even shame that she was somehow incomplete and then added to that was an extra layer that somehow God for whatever reason had failed to bless her. Maybe God had even abandoned her in some sense but here God is telling the woman to break out the champagne And celebrate with joy. Turn your mourning into dancing. Because she will have children. And then in verse 2, God goes on. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Lengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle In their desolate cities. Every good Israelite, as they heard these words, would have immediately recognized where these words came from. And they come from the promise that God had made to Abraham back in Genesis, starting in chapter 12. God is reassuring Israel that despite everything that has happened, despite them going into exile, despite the sacking of Jerusalem and the temple, God still remains faithful to those promises that he gave to Abraham and they will be fulfilled. So how does he show that he is faithful? How does he show that these aren't just empty words? He shows us by God showing up. The Prince of Peace, who Isaiah predicts will come, does come. And he brings with him shalom. He brings wholeness to his people. And when Jesus came, he brought wholeness to a broken world. There's a story in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5, of a woman who is bleeding for 12 years. She was unclean. She was cut off from society. She was full of shame because she couldn't have normal human interaction and contact. But then she reaches out and touches Jesus she actually makes Jesus unclean by doing so. But instead of rebuking her, Jesus turns around and heals her. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 5.34. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What Jesus brings her is peace shalom by healing her he restores her to wholeness what about you i wonder if you long for wholeness perhaps you are weighed down by being broken in some way perhaps you're single and lonely maybe you are surrounded by people but you feel isolated Maybe you just are aware that you aren't the person who God created you to be. Maybe there's disappointment. Maybe there's a a sense of of shame. Maybe because of a, a sin, present, ongoing or a past sin. A burden that you're carrying around. Friends, the news of Christmas is that Jesus has come to bring us shalom. He is the one who can restore you to wholeness. Well, the passage goes on. Our second point is restoration in verses 4 to 8. Isaiah continues to bring a message of hope to this woman who represents Israel. Now she will be given children when previously she was barren. And verses 4 to 8 announces that she will be restored to her husband. Verses 7 to 8, God tells her that he had abandoned her and hid his face from her. But now, verse 8, with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. This is no ordinary relationship. It's not just God seeing some some stray woman by the roadside and having compassion on her. God himself is binding himself to her in the most intimate of relationships. Have a look at verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called God of all the earth. Now, last week, many of us had the the joy and privilege of joining with Steve and Jess for their wedding. Uh, You will remember that when, when Steve said, I do, or I will, I can't remember which words he used, but he promised to enter into the most binding of covenant relationships it's possible to have with another human being. He promised that to Jess till death do us part, a promise for life to love and protect his wife. And that's what God is doing here for this woman, for Israel. In restoring her Recommitting to her in this covenant relationship, God is restoring her from shame. Have a look at verse 4, do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame, do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. A husband putting aside his wife, again in that culture, is a great shame. It was a des- desperately embarrassing for a woman. At the very least, it signals that she had disappointed her husband, failed to, to please, failed to satisfy him. But it may well also signal that she had been unfaithful. And that is a sort of a shame that a woman would never get over. Now we've seen already that this woman represents Israel. And Israel had been unfaithful. Unfaithful to her God. Israel had run after other gods and trusted in kings and armies when they should have been trusting in their maker. And that's why they were abandoned into exile. Israel then suffered shame and humiliation. But the message of Isaiah 54 is that the Prince of Peace would come and deliver them from shame. They would return from exile and be restored to their God. And friends, now we are the new Israel. We are the people of God. And we have been restored from exile as well. And God binds himself to us in an unbreakable covenant relationship. And he does that through the Prince of Peace who came to dwell with us. Jesus is our bridegroom. He brings us shalom through restoration. We read in the Gospels that Jesus brings restoration to lepers. Like the woman with bleeding in that culture, a leper was also isolated from society. Also someone who suffered ongoing shame for the fact that they were unclean permanently in some cases they couldn't have any interaction with others around them they had to live outside of the uh, normal civilization in Matthew 8 a leper comes to Jesus and begs him to make him clean not only does Jesus heal him but he does it by touching the man the the reverse of the woman uh, who was healed from the bleeding. This time it is Jesus who puts his hand out and touches the leper. He willingly makes himself unclean in that action so the man could be clean, so the man could be restored, free of shame, made whole. In a sense, Jesus took on that leper's shame in that action of touching him so that the man could be free of shame. The Prince of Peace brought him shalom. And friends, that's what Jesus does for us if we are willing. He willingly takes that shame that we all carry around the shame of our sin, the shame of our unfaithfulness to our maker. He bore that shame with him on the cross and became unclean so that we could be clean, free of sin and guilt. All of us carry around shame. We all have things to hide from, from our past perhaps perhaps it is things in the past the way we've treated someone close to us or maybe it's ongoing perhaps it's it's the way that we've treated someone and we continue to be estranged from that relationship perhaps it's ongoing struggle with sin And we've all had experience of when we try to deal with that ourselves, it's like putting on a band aid when our legs cut off. Doesn't really work, does it? Instead of peace, we have a nagging guilt, sense of shame. But Jesus brings shalom, He brings peace through restoration with God. He has dealt with our sin and guilt once and for all. Well, finally, in our third point, God reassures the woman of his love in verses 9 and 10. A covenant of marriage would be a pretty dry and meaningless promise if it didn't involve love, wouldn't it? Just like Steve... And Jess, when they got married, it would be pretty meaningless if they agreed to get married, but they didn't love each other. God pledges his ongoing love for Israel. Have a look at verse 10 again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. The word God uses for unfailing love here is the Hebrew word, chesed. It's a word that always goes with the idea of covenant. It's kind of a technical term that refers to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, his special love for his people. We saw earlier that God commits himself here to a covenant of peace, a covenant of shalom. And look at the language he uses to promise that covenant commitment. It's more dependable, more unshakable than the mountains and the hills. Even if there will come a time when the mountains and the hills will disappear, God's covenant promise to his people will never disappear. And love is the glue that holds this covenant of shalom together. Remember that shalom is a thick, rich idea of peace, not just absence of fighting and war, but rightness of relationship, wholeness, living as we were created to live. How does God make that happen? How does he somehow make his unfaithful people able to live with him? As we've been seeing, it's through the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. It's through the Advent, it's through him coming to earth and living with us. And that's the message of Christmas. God showed how committed he is to us by the lengths he is willing to go To restore his shalom to us. God's covenant peace is costly. It meant his son giving up his throne alongside the Father and becoming human. But more than that, God's covenant with us is written in blood because the price of peace is costly. Jesus not only gave up his throne to come down and live with us amidst our dirt and muck and mess, but he gave up his life for us. And that's how we know that he loves us. In a wedding ceremony, we know that the bride and groom make vows to each other, don't they? They pledge to be uh, committed to each other through richer for poorer through sickness, for health. But imagine the groom saying, imagine Steve last week getting up and saying that uh, he's going to seal his, his, his uh, love for Jess by dying for her. I don't just mean figuratively dying, but I mean literally uh, by, by actually dying physically. But that's what Jesus has done for us. That's how we know that God loves us. That's how he seals and he proves this covenant of shalom with us. Finish off. I want to leave you with a question. Have you accepted the shalom, the peace that God is wanting you to have? Have you done that by trusting in Jesus for your forgiveness of your sins? Have you found wholeness knowing that Jesus alone can make you into the person you were created to be? Have you found restoration in your relationship with God by putting your trust in Jesus? Have you been freed from guilt and shame? I want to say that if you've never done that, if you've never taken that step, Christmas time is the perfect time to do that and I would love to talk to you more about the next step to take, what that involves. Please come and talk to me or or Brett or someone you trust who's here today. Don't let that opportunity slide without doing that. And for all of us, we normally respond after um, hearing God's Word with, uh, through a song, don't we? We normally sing back to God uh, in response to what we've learnt. But today I thought it was appropriate to move straight into communion as we celebrate what Jesus has done in bringing about the new covenant, the covenant of peace. And today I'm going to get you to be a bit more active uh, in the way that we do that we, today. By having words up on a screen uh, that I will read some of them and then you will respond by saying some of them. But uh, I think it's a really useful exercise. So I'll get you to stand up. Let's stand. And uh, so we're going to um, morph into our time of communion. So let me start by saying, Peace to you, peace be with you. Very good. Today we have been reminded that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, came to restore us to Shalom. He did that by coming to earth, being born as one of us, living with us and ultimately to die for us. By his blood, Jesus bound himself to a new covenant a covenant of shalom. We eat the bread that represents his body and we drink the juice that represents his blood. Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, we thank you that you have brought us shalom with God by your death. Have a seat now.